Hello, world. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I forgot not to say hello. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. I'm back from my whirlwind of a Sundance experience and recovering from what I have learned is the Sundance flu. Altitude plus endless drinks with a side of lack of sleep equals being bedridden for five days. So I'm recovering, but it was very worth it. As you guys may know or have seen from my social media, I was there for the world premiere of a film called Sylvie's Love, starring Tessa Thompson. So it's fitting that my guest this week also had a movie premiere at the festival. Fiona Walsh-Hines co-produced Promising Young Woman, starring the very lovely Carrie Mulligan. The film is about a young woman who, when traumatized by a tragic event in her past, seeks out vengeance against men. Pretty dope, right? Fiona is a physical producer. She's mostly a line producer, not a true DGA UPM, and we get into what the heck that even means. She gets into the nitty gritty of explaining the differences between physical and creative producing. She's extremely thorough on the topic, so get ready. We then get into balancing motherhood with production, not an easy feat, and the advice she wishes someone had given her when she was starting out. So let's dig in and hear from Fiona. I think you're good. Um, Wait, so you were saying, I know you're mid-snack, but you were telling me about your start as an actor, as a child actor. (laughs) Yeah, I think my start as an actor is really overselling it a bit, but um, (laughs) I'm the eighth of nine kids in my family. Wow. And... um, what that meant practically is that we didn't have that much money, right? And so it also meant that like any opportunity anybody had, it was like, oh, maybe we could get more in, more of them into this and, you know, create more opportunity. So my one sister who is an actress, still an actress, has made her living at that exclusively for, I don't know, 35 years now. Um, she was like redheaded and really outgoing and she... Um, fell into acting and then any of us that were also extroverted and wanted to sort of were quickly enrolled in the young actors classes and all this stuff. (laughs) So um, I did that for a long time. I probably acted from like six to 16, like, you know, weekend, one weekend a a month, you know, at like intensive workshops. Um, And then finally... I was supposed to, I was already living in LA for mm-hmm. the summers and had come down like during pilot seasons and stuff. And then it was like, okay, are you going to move down to LA for the rest of your high school? But I had already gone to three yeah. high schools because I was also like, but so you were finding some success as an actor at that point. No, I mean, if you're no, coming I mean, down like, here for pilot season, that's commercials, you know, like commercials, yeah. like, you know, um, in San Francisco, I was doing theater mm-hmm. At ACT, and then I was doing, you know, I got like a few national commercials, which pay really well. Yeah. But um, I had already gone to, I was already on my third high school because I was also sort of a juvenile delinquent. Um, um what? <laughs> yeah. So just throw that in there, <laughs> just as a side story. Um, so I was already on my third high school, and it was like, did I want to move cities, come to LA, you know, start a fourth high school? And I just like woke up one morning with like real clarity that. I actually was not that good of an actor and that I should just not do this. Like, what, what was the, what was that clarity? I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know. I just like woke up and was like, this is really fucking hard. And if you're not that good, like you're yeah. not going to make it. And it was like, am I that good? 
No, I don't think I'm that but good. But did you feel a loss? Was it something you loved and you were like, oh, if I could only be better? Only in that it was like, it was sort of nice to have like an identity. You know what I mean? Like mm. where it was like, you know, oh, I was somebody who was like going to be an actor. You know, I sort of had a path a little bit. Um, I did, it was no loss. Like now when I think back, I think... God, thank God I was not an actor. <laughs> you know, I'd be, yeah, it'd be, yeah. I'm a much better producer than yeah. I ever would have been an actor. Interesting. Um, but it is kind of how I ended up getting into film because I always had sets and like the energy of, you know, production kind of in the back of my mind. And so as I started working in first in finance and then in the tech industry and like I was going to night school, went through, went to college at night, um, I was like always bored even though I was like the busiest person that I knew I was just so so <laughs> bored because ultimately I was really unsatisfied mm. um you know I would get these like brochures for the New York Film Academy like junk mail basically but they would talk about like a winter course it was only two weeks like learn filmmaking in two weeks and I was like I could take two weeks vacation like I was just always like coming up and so I just one day sort of quit my like pretty good job um, what were you and, doing? What was the job? I was working for a company that doesn't exist anymore. It was mm. for, during the first dot com um, mm. boom in San Francisco in like the early 2000s. Uh, it was called moreover.com. And we did um, like news aggregation, competitive intelligence. It's the stuff that you, that's everywhere now, but at the time, we were right. like the first people doing it. Yeah. So, like, if you had a client and you wanted to get a ping for every article that was written about them, we would send you a customized like newsfeed every day. Um, I was doing sales for them, um, and I had moved up really quickly and I was doing really well and I really liked the company, but I was just absolutely, utterly, completely unsatisfied with everything. Well, it's interesting that you went from like being exposed to production, the business and going completely the opposite way when you had your epiphany about acting (laughs) instead of being like, well, I guess I'll PA or I'll go do something in a different part of the industry that you went to something you know very yeah. corporate sort of world very different yeah well because it you know because I still had to earn I just I had to earn money so like I didn't why again, that's weird well because I was paying my high school tuition <laughs> and then, oh yeah <laughs> I was like well no because I had to pay for stuff um <laughs> no because like you know again it was like a big family so if yeah. you were capable you know mm-hmm. you did so I paid my high school tuition for the most part and then when it was time to go to college it was like cool you should do that like yeah. how are you gonna do that and so um, you know, all those decisions were motivated by very, like, you know, practical concerns. And it wasn't until I was like, three or four years into school at night, mm-hmm. that I even kind of like took my head up and allowed myself to be like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, yeah. So like, I'm paying for stuff, but like, what am I doing? Mm. Um, and I was at San Francisco State, and they only have four good colleges. And it was like nursing, business, journalism, stuff I wasn't interested in. And then yeah. cinema was the other, only other one that had like a good reputation. And I was yeah. like, oh, cinema. I'll do that one. Yeah. And I took one class, and then I was like, okay, cool. I need to do this. And I just like gave notice at my job that I'd been at for like four years. And yeah. Went on unemployment, scammed the state of California. <laughs> um, sound like a true producer. Yeah. Just yeah, finding your way. I got a, I got my first uh, quote unquote grant from the unemployment <laughs> department, um, and yeah, and then I moved to LA after graduation, and I made fourteen thousand dollars that year, and basically still paying off the credit card debt wow. I accumulated in my first few years. You still in are LA now. I think we might be done with it now. 
Yeah. I don't know. There's a spreadsheet. We track stuff. But yeah, I, yeah. Well, I mean, I was like living here and producing shorts and basically, you know, like the cash that I would get from jobs, I would pay rent with yeah. and then everything else I put on a credit card. When did you discover what producing was, that that was a viable career path and you had an inkling of like, oh, I think I'm good at this? Mm. Well, in school, it was um, I was being asked to AD stuff, mm. you know, and I think because that was like the position that people knew that they needed. Mm-hmm. But what it turned out is like what they were looking for was like a producer. Right. Um, and an AD, but a producer. So first I set out kind of on this AD path a little bit until I realized like how much more other people got paid and like <laughs> that they could stand up for less time <laughs> than the ADs. I was like, and you have a longer lifespan yeah. as well. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but like first I was like, I don't want to stand up this much. Um, I didn't even know, like, I don't want to die 10 years younger than everybody else. I just wanted to sit down and make more money. Um, Bless the hearts of the ADs. We definitely need them. Oh my God. That is rough life. I mean, but it's, I mean, if you think about it in terms of like being close to the action and like the real filmmaking of it. You're on the ground. You're right there. They're right there. And I think that there's something really, really cool about that. For me, the trade-offs don't make it make sense. Um, but I think, you know, to be like right in the middle of it like that is is super fun. Yeah. Um, and I totally get why they do it. I just, I want to have participation in more of the process than yeah. that. And that's even my issue now when I'm like a straight line producer on something is like, I have no problem with the work. Like, I think the work is incredibly valuable. I think it's it's quite difficult to do with grace and, you know, with creativity and, so, you know, I think that there's there's really something to be said about it. It mm-hmm. just doesn't it doesn't take a wide enough swath for me. It's like, you know, I I don't want to not be involved in the development because I'm line producing it. I don't want to not be involved in post because I'm producing it, you know, because I'm line producing instead of producing. So it's like AD was like the first thing that I was like, oh, this is cool. But it was just too narrow mm. of a piece yeah. of the pie. Will you define producing? Oh, God. Um, I think, I mean, I take it literally, right? Like to bring forth, right? So whatever that means. And I think it means different things on every single project. Cause I think, you know, some people need to be produced. Some things need to be produced. Um, <laughs> but you know, for the most part, I think it's, it's just, you know, you see words on a page and somebody has, has made that and created that and that's awesome, but it doesn't exist yet. And like, we have to bring it forth. So what yeah. does that mean? You know, and in on the physical producing side, that means, you know, assembling a team and, and you know, des, you know, help find, figuring out who's designing this, you know, and actually making the world of the movie exist yeah. where it had previously not. Um, but yeah, so I take it pretty literally. It's like, my job is to bring forth whatever it is that we need. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's actors, sometimes it's... Do you find like there is a difference in the way the jobs can be defined between a straight line producer, a physical producer, a more traditional sort of quote unquote creative producer and what is sort of regarded as the capital P producer. I know within the world of producers, there is a hierarchy of all these different roles. Um, So you speak to that a little bit because one of my goals with this podcast on top of learning the fascinating stories of the the people who make up the fabric of this industry is to really kind of break down how it all works, you know, from, from a producer's mouth to your ear, like type of thing, you know? Yeah, no. And I think that's really valuable because that, 
at least that information wasn't accessible to me in a mm-hmm. way that Same. I yeah. could get to it when mm-hmm. I started. And so I started out what I now, what I now know is that I set down a path that would lead me to being a physical producer, but I did not intend for that to happen. I set out to be a creative producer, a capital P producer, you know, but I started out set peeing and not assisting, you know, I didn't go into development because I didn't even know that that's how capital P producers were made. You know, I just was like, I'm going to produce stuff. And so, you know, so I just sort of set down this path of physical production kind of unknowingly. And then when I, by the time I sort of figured it out, I was like, oh shit. Well, so now what do I do? Do I like backtrack and, you know, take three steps backwards and try to get into development to get that side of it too? Like, you know, I don't know. And it took me a while to just like start to just embrace the skills that I have and what I bring to the table creatively in a physical production capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, you know, where 10 years from now I'll end up, but I would say to answer the actual question you asked me, (laughs) I would say how I define like a capital P producer is somebody that does it all. Cause I think there are producers that are full producers that find the money or full producers that attach a studio or attach an actor or whatever. And that sort of buys them their ticket to capital P producing. And that's totally valid, but, or to creative producing rather. But I think a full blown capital P producer is somebody that's, that can do it all that like, they're just as instrumental in the script development, in the casting as they are in like the actual brass tacks of putting the movie together Mm -hmm. from a physical perspective and guiding it all the way through the shoot and then guiding it all the way through post and then being able to actually sell the shit out of it and you yeah. know and recoup the money for the financiers or satisfy the studio requirements or, you know whatever the sort of task at hand was like that to me is like ultimately like full producing which is what I hope to do which is what I always hope to do but it's a lot uh, it's a lot to do <laughs> it's a lot to do especially when you're alone yeah and you in my experience, you don't come from a long lineage of people with, yeah. you know, access access yeah. to people who can finance your independent movies and kind of do it on your own. You know, I think a lot of, I look at someone like, you know, Megan Allison at Annapurna and like, well, she was able to build that company on her own because she comes from extreme wealth, you know, mm-hmm. and now she has a whole team, but even with the whole team, it's not like every single project that she decides or, you know, to get behind or that inspires her as a producer is a slam dunk. You yeah. know, there's a ton of money being lost left and right. And to do it on your own and have the stamina to do all of that while also having a, a life. Yeah. I just don't know how anyone does it. Yeah. And I think that's, I think along the way, at least for myself, that's where I've sort of made trade-offs, right? Because um, I've fully produced a number of small films that haven't made their money back. I haven't made any money on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lifestyle. That's not a lifestyle I can sustain yeah. for very long. So what I used to do is sort of like trade off, like, okay, I'll do a small one, I'll do a medium-sized one, I'll do a big one for money, which, you know, I'll still probably do some version of that. Right now where I'm at in my life is, you know, I'm also having a family and, you know, I if I'm going to be working, I have to be making a certain amount of money. So what I have learned to kind of embrace about line producing is that 
I come into a fully greenlit movie almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm, you know, the last sort of piece of what gets it greenlit. It's pretty badass. I mean, if you think about like in, the, yeah. in terms of like producing, like to be like, hey, here's a go movie. Yes, here's all the things. It's a miracle. Anything gets yeah. made. And when you have produced small movies or anything of any yeah. budget level and you're pushing that boulder up the hill, it does feel impossible. Yeah. So when someone comes to you and they're like, we have the gift, we just need you to wrap it. Yeah, totally, you know? totally. And help us give it to the right person. Totally. It's, it's a really, it is nice. Like you said, I think it is nice to lean into that. But yeah. there is the trade-off. Yeah, there is the yeah. trade-off. I mean, I, you know, for me, the trade-off is that I have to talk to the accountants. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean... Well, if you get really good accountants, it's lovely. (laughs) Oh, totally. But But finding good accountants is very hard. Um, The only one I found is now production supervisor. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, My favorite ones have all come into life. Um, But no, I mean, you know, I think there's... I think there's always trade-offs. And I think, you know, it's, it's sort of taken me a long time to get to a place of peace with like when I get a call to be a line producer. And I'm like... It sort of doesn't matter what I'm called necessarily because like I know who I am and kind of what I contribute to a film and you know if if the if my involvement becomes more or less creative throughout the process like that will sort of dictate what my experience on the film is you know and I think I really like the physical production part of making movies. I also enjoy development, but that's not a muscle that I've been flexing as much. So I'm not as good at it, you know? And it's like, at a certain point, you just want to be a value. So it's like, why wouldn't I lead with the thing I'm most good at, which is that I can basically make any movie anywhere for any money. And I feel very confident in that. And that is a skill that a number of producers who came up the other side don't have so it's like it's really just about aligning yourself with people with complementary skills uh, I still don't think I've answered the question very succinctly but I would say well, I that mean, you answered what a capital P producer is and I know working as a line producer and then when you have gotten credits as a co-producer on a movie yeah you know what what does that all mean yeah so I think there's 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 two different types right so sometimes like on The Meddler, I was a line producer and I was given a co-producer credit as a like, you did a great job, right? Um, which I appreciated. Um, versus on like 1915, I was the only producer on set. It was a smaller movie. Um, the producer is a good friend of mine, was making another movie and then was on his honeymoon. So I was the only producer on mm-hmm. set. So I was an absolute true co-producer on that. Um, on Beatrice at Dinner, we had a line producer um, who was doing, you know, absolutely most of that stuff every day but I was overseeing her and you know everybody else in that regard you know so it's like it kind of means different things sometimes I think it's just given to you as a sort of symbol the the credit is given to you as a sort of symbol of the level of experience you're bringing to line producing Um, same thing with executive producer slash UPM and then sometimes I think it's more indicative of of your sort of relationship with the other producers and the director and your you know, and how you're entering the space of the filmmaking, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not any one thing. And then you sort of get precedent and it's like, well, 
Right. Now, now I have is, precedent, this, you know, yeah, so exactly. yeah. But I mean, I would say I feel like a co-producer, you know what I mean? Like yeah. at least right now, like on the movies I'm doing right now, I feel very much like I'm not taking the full picture of the movie. Like, you know, I'm not with it from it's the first inception of the script to the very last, mm-hmm. you know, um, deal for distribution, which is a bummer. I would love to be on most of the movies I've made. I would love to have been more involved in all that stuff. You know, so it feels appropriate that there's something before the word producer in my title. You know, line producing implies that you're really like watching the bottom line. And, you know, and of course you you are. Every producer is because that's you have to have enough money to finish the movie. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think about money and time as just like the resources that we have to make yeah. the movie with. So. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's my job to sort of guard the budget, I it's like it's just to make sure that we're using the money in the smartest ways to make the best possible movie that we can make with the money and the time that we're given. You know, there's no it's not about the money. The money actually doesn't matter. It's just like of all the things that we could do, are we doing the best things for the movie? Are we making the best possible movie yeah. every minute? Well, and it's the thing, too, of like no matter what budget level you're working at, there's never enough time or money. And I think people find that fact shocking. Even when you're making a $100 million movie, it's it's hard to conceive of where all that money goes. But it's the infrastructure gets bigger and bigger. But essentially, at its core, it's all the same. Whether you're, you know, working with a crew of a hundred people or a thousand people, whether you're uh, a small indie or your Game of Thrones, it really is the same. The scale definitely gets bigger, and the stress I can't imagine. <laughs> but, but in terms of what you're doing, it's still the same. It's time and money, and how do we make the best with the resources that we have within the confines of like all of the elements, you know? Totally. And I think I, what I always say to people is like. You know, if like if we're on a twenty million dollar movie, I'm like, if we were making a five million dollar movie, which set would we choose? You know, and if we're on a five million, it's like if we were making a one million dollar movie, we would still have this right scene. So how would we do it? Exactly. You know, like yeah. what people don't realize is they think, oh, I'm going to get a big movie and I'm going to have money and it's going to make everything better. It's like no, you get paid more, and everything else stays the same because it does. It truly just scales. Yeah. It's like. The movie I'm on right now is when we're shooting in LA, we're on basic agreement contracts. It's like you're paying the highest possible scale rates for every union and you're paying medical and pension on 125 people for five months. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, too, is that majority of your budget is labor half Mm -hmm. the time. Oh, yeah. It's just paying the people, which is great. I I would rather a lot of that money go into the working class of Hollywood's pockets. Yeah. I don't like to play the game of let's get people below their worst. That's why I yeah, think yeah. unions are very good. But, you know, it does make our job a little tricky when there's money where you can't touch certain things. Some things are just hard costs. And that yeah. definitely, you know, goes up as you scale up incrementally. Totally. And yeah. I think the only parts of that that bump me are when it's not uh, when it's not equitable across the board. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'm a member of the DGA. I don't work DGA very often. I only work DGA when it makes more sense. Yeah. For the Are movie. you a UPM? DGA, UPM? I'm a DGA UPM. Yeah. I'm not on any of the right QLs because <laughs> I don't give a shit because yep. I'm not a UPM. Um, so I'm not, I'm like 65 million days away from being on the Southern <laughs> California just for, qualification for, list. For, for you guys listening, just so you understand, um, the DGA, the Director's Guild, is one of the hardest unions to get into notoriously. Uh, they do have the best pension and health 
of all the unions. But when you produce, there is a division of it where you are the UPM, the unit production manager. And a lot of movies will have a hybrid UPM line producer combo. So it should be two jobs, but it's one person, essentially. So a lot of the bigger projects, they are full, full union, which means that for someone like Fiona or I to come in and do that job, we have to be DGA. And if you're not DGA or you're not on the right QL, which means qualifications list, then it's like, well, you don't get to do this like $50 million movie, even though everybody loves you and you're super qualified for it from an experience level because you're not on the right list per the DGAs, exactly. whatever, however they use to qualify it. It's very frustrating, exactly. honestly. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is I, I sort of, I kind of accidentally joined the DGA. I mean, so I got grandfathered in. And again, had anybody, had I known at all what to do, I wouldn't have done this at the yeah. time. But on the first big movie, big movie that I line produced, we ended up going DGA. I had just done, I had just line produced a $150,000 feature. And then I got asked to line produce a $1.5 million feature. It's a I was big like, jump. I yeah. was like, okay. And then that movie became like a $6 million movie in the end, probably. Um, I think it mostly was just because there was sort of inexperience among mm. everybody. And mm. I think that they sort of thought that they could shoot this movie in town in LA, um, non-union and, you know, and it's just like, it just doesn't you get, happen. You so flipped basically what well, we didn't get flipped. We, we, we sort of identified it as soon as like the team really came on. It was mm. like, we actually can't do this. And yeah, we we're building a bunch of sets we need more than $20,000 in second truck, you know, so I think it, a lot of it happens organically. Um, It's a terrible movie. This movie, it's like the worst (laughs) movie I've ever made. So then all of a sudden it was like, well, we're all the other unions. We might as well go DGA. The director wanted to go DGA. They were like, well, Fiona, you'll be the UPM. So what I didn't realize at the time is that had I not joined on that and stayed with the non-union movies that I had been doing, I was probably at that point halfway to the days I needed to join the DGA and turn in what's called your book. Right. Which is like you have to turn in call sheets or PRs, check stubs, et cetera, saying that you, proving that you've worked a certain number of days in this category. And what I want to believe is that the intention behind that is a good one, right? That they want to make sure that people are experienced and that if they are a DGA member, they are coming with, you know, X number of days. 500 days. Exactly. But (laughs) I think what, I think it's sort of a racket. But yeah. my, in my like romantic heart, I want to believe but there's also, good like, at it. Come on, there's like someone's job at the DGA to go through all those books. It's actually separate from the DGA. The QL is separate. From but the who DGA, goes which through every single call sheet and every PR oh, yeah. and every check stub you have to make sure that all those days are actual, true, viable days? Like that, that's crazy it's bizarre it's insane it's bizarre it's bizarre like for such a strong union that you need to go through that there's got to be a different way and i know the dga there's a lot of talks of getting production supervisor days to count because it is oftentimes you're doing the same job they're just not getting called that and 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 a lot of other producers get away with you know hiring someone to be a supervisor at a supervisor rate when they're really doing a upm's job yeah and i think that's where it gets tricky i mean my understanding is so for anybody listening, like, don't necessarily take any opportunity to just get grandfathered into the DGA yeah. because then you will be in purgatory as I am, which mm-hmm. is that I'm a DGA member. So I can no longer, and again, I'm not a UPM, so I don't actually care. But mm-hmm. if I did care, um, I cannot work on non union projects as a UPM. If I'm on a non union project as a line producer, there has to be a UPM. So all of my non-union days before I joined don't count anymore. And now I have to accumulate those days 
on DGA projects. Which is very hard to do. Insanely hard to do because you can only do them on low budget projects. Out of town. Well, if you if they're super low budget, you can be yeah. in town. But it's just it's essentially just this like vortex that yeah. you can't I mean I would have to I would have to leave town and UPM like eight movies in a row. Yeah. Get on the right which would list be like to do New minimum Orleans eight years of your life. To then become a UPM, which is not what which I am. Which you want, yeah. So the only workaround is that if you're in the sort of purgatory situation that I am, the only workaround is that you become the incumbent on a project, which is how I'm on the project now. I could have also stayed as a non-union line producer or co-producer in this case and brought on a UPM, but oftentimes that's not practical because of the mandated UPM scale rates. So you're not going to pay somebody, you know, this is not the real rate, but $20,000 a week and then pay a line producer more than them. You know, it's it's just not practical. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the line producer will take the UPM salary because it's the higher one and then you bring in a non-union supervisor. So, but it is tricky because it's like, I don't want to be UPMing and the supervisor wants to be UPMing, you know, and it's just this, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. It would be great if there was a way to, to have it be unionized, but actually call it like what it is, you know, if there was like truly a space for like physical producers to be included in a union without having to sort of call it, you know, a UPM. Hopefully there'll be some changes coming up soon, but But switching gears for a minute, I do want to talk about from when you started producing. And so I think you've been here 14 years in LA now producing. I mean, you started as a set PA. So I'm curious in the 14 years, because this show and I'm obsessed with like the dark times and I'm obsessed with, you know, the, the struggles that we all go through. And I feel like in my journey, I have felt a lack of community in talking about some of the realities of that from a financial standpoint, emotionally, all of the things, how you have navigated that in these 14 years, these challenges, these dark times, how you've kept kind of going, you know, through it all. Yeah, I think, I mean, my strategy has always been to kind of diversify. And I don't know if that has is ultimately a good thing or a bad thing. Mm. It's just the way, it's just the approach that I took. So when I first moved down, I was set peeing on anything I could get my hands on to get, you know, real money, real money, minimum yeah. wage. Um, <laughs> and then I was producing or line producing two to three short films at a time. Um, I mean, at one point, I swear to God, I was like the only person getting paid to produce shorts in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I was doing so many of them. I probably did like 20 wow. something shorts in like a few years. So I would, you know, be a sort of big fish on these little projects and then be a tiny fish on these big projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would take what I learned in one and, you know, use it in the other. Um, and I did that also like during the strikes when I had to work in reality and stuff to like pay bills. It was like, I was like, well, I'll just use this as an opportunity to sort of be nimble. And it's like, you know, on this reality show, we were working out of stow and go minivans. And then when I would go back to produce like a small movie, it's like, well, now I know how to, you know, sort of travel the country really light because we did it with a seven person crew on this other thing that I had to do. And so I've just always kind of stayed flexible, I guess, you know, um, I've also to much to the chagrin of my bank account, really been very picky about jobs. I just I've done enough really terrible work to know what not to do at this point. Um, Unless I really love the movie or I really love the people or I really love the paycheck, I just don't do it. But now you get to be in that place, right? Or for the past few years, I would say. 
So when you were still earning your stripes and having to just keep pushing through, I say this because I, I personally have had some very bad experiences making movies that uh, on paper are very impressive projects. But they were a nightmare. Not just a nightmare. They were projects where I almost left the business because I was like, oh, if if it only gets bigger than this, the work doesn't change, right? Maybe the money gets better, which is great. But like if this is, if my life is a permutation of this forever, is this enough for me? Am I happy with this? Because, and I say this a lot on the podcast and I don't mean to I don't mean to sound ungrateful for the career that I've built or the life that I have because I have found success in an industry that's very difficult, very challenging. But in these experiences that I've had, I have had to take six months off from my soul to figure out and realign with my purpose and why I'm even doing this in the first place. Right. When I look back at that time in my life, I think, why did I push through? Why did I keep going? Why did I stay? I could have done so many different things, right? Yeah. And so- when I find and I encounter someone like yourself who's been here pretty much as long as me and, and kind of still in it, in the trenches and succeeding and doing well, I'm curious about those moments. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but sort of once I decided that this is what I wanted to do, I kind of haven't looked back except for that one time when I really was like, oh shit, I'm accidentally, best case scenario, physical producer. <laughs> whoops you know um that was the only time when i was like should i just completely reevaluate yeah when i met my husband and we started talking about like having a family and stuff i was like fuck do i want to raise kids in la like should i like move to napa and like produce weddings <laughs> it's basically the same thing you know like yeah. the bride is the director yep the father of the bride is the executive producer you know what i mean like it's basically the same thing we need catering we need shitters you know like like should i just like go and have a nicer life um besides those two times i've never really considered leaving at all so every time something came up i also have had to take many months off at, at certain points to recover and reevaluate but mm. it just never occurred to me not to keep going you know it definitely occurred to me to be like okay how do i not put myself in that situation again. You know, there was a period where I almost got like sucked into working in reality because once you take one job, like those are the calls you get. And I had to basically for six months just turn down work and like rack up more credit card debt and just like wait for a better call, which is really, really hard. But I just sort of always had faith that I would eventually out earn my debt and <laughs> kind of get back on track. But I think it's just like what you were saying at the beginning with where it's like, people telling you like if you can do anything else you should it's a good thing to sort of constantly ask yourself that question yeah do i still want to do this like does this still matter is this the right lifestyle for me yeah now i think you know if my husband starts like making huge huge money like i'll probably go use my powers for for good instead of evil you know i'll like go run a nonprofit or something you know yeah because um, i love to make movies and it's so fun and it's the only thing that's ever like captivated me and made like made the days go by faster and, and I you know I learn every single day and I think that that's such a blessing but you know the flip side of that is you know I was just away from my 20 month old daughter for three weeks and I'm eight and a half months pregnant and I it's a Sunday and I was just on a fucking conference call right before you got here that's you right. know uh, and I'll be in a pass van scouting for 12 plus hours tomorrow and you know, these things are not like ideal. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think you should just as long as you are checking in with yourself and being like, 
do I still want this? If the answer is yes, then I think you find a way through. Yeah. If the answer is no, then you find a way out, you know? Yeah. So what do you love about it? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of punk rock, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, I always think back to like the, you know, the sort of stuff we started with when I was like working at, you know, what was considered, you know, an edgy dot com new company, you know, in four years, I went from like admin assistant to, you know, sales manager. And by all accounts, it was like a really good job, but it was only ever like a job, you know, I had so much going on. And I was so bored. And I just couldn't figure out like why I was always so bored. And it was just because I wasn't stimulated enough. Since I decided to do this for a living, with the exception of like the one day a week, I have to spend like many, many hours going through cross reports with the accountants, which feels like my like penance for getting to do this for a living. You know, I'm never bored. I mean, I'm like, I truly like, it sounds cliche, but I learn something every single day. I'm like, you know, like on the movie I'm on right now, we have to drive a car through a set. I've never done that before. Like, how are we going to do this? You know, to just like spend every day figuring stuff out is is really fun. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's exhausting and it's terrible and it's all the things, but it's, it's so <sighs> fucking fun. Yeah, mostly fun. Yeah. All the things. All the things. Yeah. But like, if you have to have a job. It's true. It's like, even the accountants, I'm like, stop being grumpy. Like, you could go do tax accounting. You're doing accounting for a movie. Yeah. Like on your worst day, you're making a movie. Like, yeah, pretty fun. So you seem to be a very positive, lovely person. Please tell my husband you said that. I will also send him this recording <laughs> so you can just he's, like he's have it be his like, ringtone. <laughs> he's always like, don't be negative. I'm like, I'm not negative. I, I mean, maybe, like, the, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm also negative. And so to me, you're a delight. I don't know. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we're simpatico. Yeah. But it, where do you get that from? Like, what is it? You you have this joie de vie and you're just like, maybe it's a Sunday. I don't know. It'd be different on hour 11 in the past van. We all have our moments. You know, it's an industry filled with emotional roller coaster up and down, up and down. And I haven't worked with you yet. And I'm just curious how you've cultivated that for yourself and you keep that fire for this in check. Yeah, it's mostly a, just a survival tactic. It's like if you want to play the long game, you want to make movies for a living. You know, it's long hours with like people that are getting paid a lot, but still being just like grumpy assholes. Mm. And you just like, it requires an enormous amount of patience, which I do not naturally have. I'm not naturally a patient person at all. You know, my father passed away now like seven years ago. Before that, I would like bleed for projects I mean I would get so invested you know if I felt like we're I mean I would just like fight over everything you know and now it's just a fucking movie like I love the movie or I love the people but like at the end of the day it's a movie it's not life or death and it doesn't fucking matter so it's a lot easier to be relaxed yeah. when you're just like, yeah, dude, it's just a movie. Like, let's do a great job. We were hired to do a great job. Like, let's make it the best possible movie that can be produced under these circumstances at this time with these people. Like, let's fucking kill it. But it's just a movie. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. At least for me, like once I sort of experienced a loss of that magnitude, nothing comes anywhere near that. So yeah. like, what are we upset about? Like, what are you actually worried about? Like, mm, it doesn't matter. You know, preach. it's just yes. a fucking movie. Just yes. have fun. Yes, yes, yes. Have you felt like producing has defined you as a human, your value, your worth? Huh. I never thought about that. Um, producing is definitely part of my identity for sure now 
But, you know, I think in some ways it's like you are because it is and it is because you are, you know? So like, as I said, I'm the eighth kid in my family and it was just chaos growing up, like really fun, but chaos. So it's like, where am I most comfortable? Like on set where it's really fun chaos, Mm -hmm. you know? Whereas, you know, my husband is an editor and so he sits in a room by himself and solves all these problems, like these really complex problems, but he does it, you know, alone or with one other person, the director. I do that on set with a hundred people, you know, and that's like, cause that's my sort of baseline. That's my comfort level. So it's like now producing feels very much part of my identity, but I think everything about my identity is what makes me also a producer naturally, you know? So I think they go kind of hand in hand, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. It's a great answer. Um, you know, as we, want to grow in our careers as producer and go from doing a certain type of project or getting a certain kind of credit or the certain kind of income, you know, jumping to those next tiers. How have you navigated that? And sort of, I guess that's like three questions in one, but the hurdles, the career lulls, and then just kind of going, moving and moving up in your career. The short answer is, is that like, I don't know how, (laughs) you know, I really don't. I mean, I've had years where I'm like, oh my God, like nobody's going to call me again. Like I'm never going to have a job again. And then I've had years where I've been like, I'm not taking any of those jobs because I'm only going to do this thing. And, and then I'm like, fuck, that took six months and I'm really broke. And now I'm just going to take anything. And, um, so what I, what I sort of always just put everything on is relationships, right? It's like, it's all relational at this point for me. So the way that I've done bigger or better movies is because I did a small movie with somebody who talked about me to somebody else. So it was doing, you know, it was like a 1 million to a 3 million to a 5 million to a 10, you know, it's like, so it wasn't like I set out to be like, oh, I need to make bigger projects or more money. I just set out to make movies with people that I really liked and to do a really good job. And I think that has sort of organically led to upward mobility in a way that I'm proud of because I'm not somebody who's gonna like go out and like schmooze my way into a job or do anything like political to, you know, I'm just not, that's just not, I'm just terrible at that stuff. I can't fix my face. Like I just can't, I'm just terrible at that shit. There's nothing wrong with your face. I just can't get my face together (laughs) to like, be in any way like hey like just be like a rub shoulder yes, rub I just kind of I just can't do it what I can do is like show up and be a good person and make a good movie like so and that's kind of just led to naturally you know more relationships with more people that are aligned like that and I think the more you sort of build a reputation the more calls you get for better movies and then ultimately like bigger movies. And I think there's value to both, you know, like I've done a lot of small movies that I'm really super proud of. And, you know, right now I'm on a bigger movie that I think is going to be really fun, a totally different kind of thing. But, you know, they were all appropriate for where I was at in my Mm -hmm. life. And they're all still motivated by the people I'm working with. Like, it's like, it's still about who I'm doing it with. Well, speaking of Promising Young Woman... I love that movie. Oh my God. The yeah. trailer yeah. is out of control. And it's so cool. Congrats on Sundance, yeah. by the way. The movie I know I'm going to miss it. I'm so bummed. And uh, I'm going because Sylvie, a movie that I was UPM on. Uh, you did Sylvie? Yeah. I was called about Sylvie. You were? I was, yeah. Definitely want to off mic about that. But uh, this is my first Sundance I get to yeah. go to. Oh my God, so fun. Um, and so I'm very excited. It's and so fun. I don't know if I'll get to watch the, the film when I'm there, but I, I love everything about 
the premise of that movie. Yeah. And so I'm just so excited for you, yeah, yeah. ladies. I think Promising yeah. is probably my favorite movie to date that I've that I've had a, a chance to help make. And I think, you know, again, me like a few years ago coming from like ego or whatever, I wouldn't have taken the call for that job because I got called to line producer. And mm. I would have been like, no, I'm, you know, I'm a creative producer and that's what I'm doing. And But where I'm at now, I'm just so at peace with like, however I get to enter the space of a movie that I really want to help bring to the world, I'm happy to do You're that. You're not like... Ego, I don't have an ego maniac about it. About it. No. Like I need this credit or that credit. Yeah. No, I think, you know, especially with that movie, I was just like, I'm going to help make this movie. Yeah. Like, fuck. Yeah. Like, let's go. Yeah. Um, and whatever role I have to play to do that is fine. Yeah. The writer director of that Emerald finale is like, I mean, she's just like my favorite person. I just love her so much. She's so clever and kind and, quick you know and just like everything you could ever want in a director she really is when you have someone like that it sets the tone for a set it sets the tone for what gets imprinted on the screen you you feel it there's something palpable about a project where that is the energy on set you cannot create from a place of fear yeah creativity happens at best when everybody feels supported and loved yeah. and cared for right so if you have a maniac who's like throwing things at you and yelling at you and berating you yeah um how are you going to really get people to show up and do their best work i call it like are we in the matrix or not you know like are you in the flow or not like either things are aligning and we're moving and everything is is working or something's you know misaligned and there's just these conflict points over and over and over again. And so you can never get a rhythm. So you can never get a flow to set. So you can, you know, so it just becomes a much more difficult, like walking through mud process than it needs to be. Yes. You know, and so one of the things I take very seriously about my job on set is to like figure out where those stuck points are Mm. and remove them. Is it a communication issue? Like, is there an asshole somewhere who's like being, you know, rotten apple, you know, like what's, what's not working and how do we fix it and then get everybody back into alignment and like, just go. Cause when you're going everything, you know, everything is so smooth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it has its own rhythm yeah. and its own pace. Well, and it's that thing, right? When it's going really well, a, a producer's work truly is somewhat invisible. It's only when shit hits the fan that people are like, oh, you know, if you don't resolve those issues, if you don't get rid of the asshole and that bad apple starts to rot and infect others around them that you're like, why isn't anybody doing something yeah. about this? You know? Yeah. And you have to, you I know. think the role of a producer is to get ahead of that stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm always, I mean, I ear hustle on everything on set. I mean, I listen. (laughs) Hashtag ear hustle. (laughs) I'll sit in the trailer doing payroll and I'll just like be absolutely eavesdropping on everything that's going on on base camp. You know, I have eyes everywhere because you have to get ahead of that stuff. You can't like let something kind of take hold Mm -hmm. and interrupt the flow of a scene or the day or the whole shoot or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I think you have to be really proactive. But yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. I like to work with women if possible. Um, I also work with a lot of men, you know, on the movie I'm on right now. It's all men. That's cool too. Um, But you know, the two I did before this were both with female directors. And I think that women are um, built a certain way that makes them particularly good at directing and producing because we 
you know, are both sort of like maternal caregiver and also like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you know, because you <laughs> have disciplinarian, yeah. you have to hold both spaces. Mm-hmm. It just comes naturally to a lot of women to create a safer space, genuinely mm-hmm. than it, than it does. At least, you know, and, and we could talk about whether that's an innate thing or that socialization or whatever. And I don't fucking know, right, but right. <laughs> in general, yeah. You know, I think women are more open to at least just like allowing for that. And mm-hmm. so the vibe on set is just nicer. Yeah, I would agree. I've done a few projects with female directors and they've all been pleasant experiences. Yeah. Well, except for one, but yeah. that, one, that one wasn't that person's fault. Yeah. And there's also the, you know, the exception the other way, like Miguel Arteta is a male director, but he's incredibly kind and compassionate yeah. and sensitive. And so, you know, he you know, his sets are just as lovely as yeah. any female director I've ever worked I mean, with. I think just breeding compassion, period, no matter your gender, that should be the goal uh, in an industry that has been notoriously been abusive and can continue to be abusive, especially when you speak of uh, the physical production side of things where you're, wor- you're working people crazy hours because that's there's no other way. If somebody figured out a way to make a movie in eight hours, we, we will all be doing it. Well, we could be doing tens. That's what they do yeah, everywhere we could, else. We could, but you know. apparently you only get two more shots doing 12s instead of that's tens. That's insane. We should just do tens. Yeah. It's it's the French hours thing. Yeah. That people don't like. And the way our overtime is structured. People well, and also the, the West mentality of like, you know, we just got to work hard and you don't quit and you go. And if mm-hmm. you, you should, it's a badge of honor that you worked 14 hours. It's like, yeah. no, that's really sad that you yeah. don't get to like sleep or well, have a meal. Well, for producers or production, you know, 14 hours is like, that's if you make your day. It's such a marathon. And, you know, for a lot of the people who are the working class of the, the crew, like a grip who's going from your movie. It's always a grip, isn't it's it? It's always a grip. Always grip. A grip. I always, I love my grips. It's always a grip. <laughs> Every example I ever have. I'm like this, if a grip, I'm like poor grips. Like, I think, you know, why? they're nice I guys. I don't know why they're I shit all on them lovely. all the time. I think it's because like AC is like kind of hard to say. And then electrician has too many, just too many syllables. Right. I think grip is just, just comes out of you. But it's the grips, right. you know, they, it's they, always the, it's the G&E guys that are coming and doing your movie for three months and then everybody's rapping and they're exhausted and they're like leaving your set or your rap party because they start another movie at 5 a.m. the next day. And I'm like, how do you and it's a very physically demanding, physically demanding positions on a set. So how they have the stamina to keep going. I just don't know. I think my favorite directors are really efficient, not efficient for the sake of efficiency, but like efficient because they've thought it all through and they you know and they respect everybody's time including well, their they're own prepared, right yeah they, they've done the work yeah and they're not screwing around with people's times and i yeah. think you know i think honestly better working conditions just come from smarter bosses you know it's mm. like all of us should be looking for efficiencies wherever yeah. it's like yeah could we do this insanely complicated crane shot 55 times sure should we no no you know for me the best the best leaders are ones that are are always considering all of the factors. It's not just making a great movie no matter what it takes. It's like making a great movie with, you know, the least amount of wear and tear on all of the contributing parties. Mm. You know, like if we can do it in 12 hours instead of 13, like let's do that, you know, and like let's make it just as good, not better because you know, the grip's been there 15 hours. It's not better. You know, it's like, let's just be smarter. And I think when you have a leader that is really respectful of people's time and their contributions, I think that stuff comes naturally. You know, you just go more efficiently. Work smarter, not harder. Well, work smarter and harder. And harder. You know, it's like, 
I don't know. I only find that like really lazy people find say work smarter, not harder. So I like that. <laughs> that phrase yeah. bumps me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm it's like, a trigger. No, okay. you fucking asshole. Like, <laughs> just, just, you, know, you still have to work hard, you know? <laughs> it's not like outsmart the work. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. But not assigning that to you. I just, in my experience, <laughs> it's always like the sound mixer. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> stop it, dude oh, who sits down all God. day. Like Production humor. I love it. Yes. It's <laughs> yes. so true. It's Next, so we'll true. start ragging on script supervisors and that'll be the end of it but um <laughs> but no i think you know i don't know so i i really i honestly i can't say enough good things about emerald she's just yeah. like remarkable and she was seven months pregnant when we were making the movie i can't even but it's um, just amazing women are incredible aren't we well that's the thing it's like that's sort of you know that's kind of like what i'm not saying when it's like i prefer to work with women because like you know everybody's like what are you doing today and i'm like i'm doing all of the things that you're doing and also i'm growing a human being so like what, what are else? you doing you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean like and that's just not asked of men in the same way mm-hmm. so it not that they wouldn't step up or they could but like it's just not asked of them but because it's sort of routinely asked of us yeah biologically you know i think we're just we just have that like built-in multitasking yeah. you know on like a cellular level for sure for sure so yeah i think women make great bosses yes i agree did you always want a family uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah did yeah. you ever have like crazy anxiety about how you were gonna create that life for yourself where you got to have your career and work production which is very demanding mm. as we've described and then also be a present mom and a present wife and all of these other roles you get to play i mean i would love to say that i went into it with like that much like self-reflection and forethought but i did not <laughs> initially i came at it with a, just a ton of ego so i moved down to la and i was like okay in five years i'm gonna be such like hot shit that i'm gonna be able to live in the bay area and i'll just fly down for meetings <laughs> <laughs> i did not realize that it takes 10 years to get established like and if probably better that i didn't realize it because if somebody had told me that at year one i'd have been like screw this i quit but I would say across the board in everybody that I know, it's taken them 10 years yeah. to actually get to a place where they're making things that they want to make or making the money that want to make or whatever the most important thing to them is. So no, at the beginning I was like, well, of course I'll just like, I'll still be in the Bay Area. You know, I'll just like, I'll take, mm-hmm. you know, I'll do one movie a year in the summer when my kids are off, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So really it was just like complete naivete. That yeah allowed me to hold space for both of my mind once you get into it you're just like okay how does this work you know like I would love if my husband could have the kids because he's an editor and he goes to the same place most days and you know he sits in a chair most days and it seems like it would be ideal if we could pick of the two people who did the actual physical caring of the kids but that's not possible so not yet not yet I think it's going to get really weird if if they can start doing that stuff. But so with my daughter, you know, I was on set of a movie called Clemency, which is Mm -hmm. out right now. Um, Congrats. Thank you. I'm excited to see it. Sundance Grand Jury winner last year. Yep. Um, It's on my it's a Spirit Award uh, nominee. So it's on my list of movies to watch. It will depress you. Um, I wouldn't go on a date there. Um, It's a great movie. But so with my daughter, I was pregnant with my daughter. I was very, very sick at the beginning. Uh, I was trying to find a movie during the second trimester. I couldn't. Um, I got the call about clemency when I was approaching my third trimester. And I was like, well, I can't like make a movie now. I can't make a little movie now. Um, and 
then it was like, well, can I? Like, so we just sort of put it in place where, you know, there was enough of it. Like I could do sort of like I'm doing with this movie. It's the movie I'm on right now. It's like you can sort of build the the overall plan and then establish a handoff. With Clemency, we wrapped on a Friday. My water broke on Monday. So wow. I was able to actually make it the whole time. The FSO and the medic every day were like so nervous about me. They were like, are you having contractions? I definitely could have had my daughter in a decommissioned women's prison during the filming of that movie, but I did not. Um, that would have been a cool story. F- yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like, uh, just, origin story for your daughter. The floor was so dirty. I'm really happy it didn't happen. It's like, I think your first instinct is to be mm-hmm. like, oh, it has to be this if I'm going to have kids or like I'm pregnant so I can't do this. But it's like really... You can do whatever you want to do, you know? So if you want to do this for a living and have a family, you can do that. You just have to figure out how, you know, like how we do it is that we have to create a very complex, scalable care paradigm for her so that we have, you know, people in, in place for when we're in production versus not. You just have to be really flexible and you have to know that a portion of your salary is going towards paying for the flexibility required. Which is, you know, which is okay. But it also means like, you know, I won't be making really small movies for the next like little while. Right. Because I can't right, afford right, right. to. <laughs> right. You know, because I yeah. like literally can't afford to. Because for me to go to work, I have to make, you know, yeah. X number of thousands of dollars or more a week to cover to what cover the childcare that. costs yeah. are. Yep. But I always wanted to be a mom. I do not um, want to be a stay-at-home mom. It's not like, oh, if I didn't have to work, I would stay home with my kids all day. No way. No fucking way. Um, I love them. I want to be around as much as I can. And then when I have to be gone, I have to be gone. And if I have to be gone, you know, it's because it's either, you know, something I really, really believe in or because it's a paycheck that makes the difference for us or it's a, you know, it's a hybrid of both. Yeah. But it's daunting. I would say I know a lot of people that have chosen not to have a family because they can't figure out how to work it out in this industry. And that's totally fair. I know it's possible because we're doing it. You just have to, it's just a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And you just have to be like, <laughs> it's just, it's just a pain in the ass and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. You know, but again, you'd like, but isn't all of it a pain in the ass totally. in some way, shape or form. Of course. So then like, why not at least walk away with it with like two or three little souls? That- yeah. You get to have well, produced. Like, totally. And when I'm, you know, like right now, like, do I want to be in production and eight months pregnant? No. Well, yeah. You know, like, yeah. but when I'm 70, am I going to be happy that I had kids? For sure. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm 39. It's like, we already waited as long as we can wait. Like, if you want to do it the cheap, natural way, like, it's all possible. It's just a matter of like, perspective. It would be ideal if I didn't have to actually carry them. <laughs> Pregnancy is highly incompatible with yes. physical protection. <laughs> so getting in and out of trailers. Ugh. Yeah, it's okay. uncomfortable, but doable. Final question. Unless, you, like I said, you have anything you want to add or. The only thing I would maybe just like clarify is like if somebody's listening and they're like a baby producer to before you walk too far down a path to sort of get a sense of what the steps you're taking, where they're going to lead you. So like if you want to be heavily involved in script development, you should go and be someone's assistant. Um, And you should sort of come up the creative exec to development exec route. Um, Or if you want to be the kind of producer that's like putting together really big movies, like you should maybe consider going into representation and starting in the mailroom and building up your Rolodex of talent 
whether it's director or, or on-screen talent there, you know, or if you want to be a physical producer who makes the movie, actually makes a movie, like then I would say, you know, set PA and AD and, you know, UPM and come up that way. But just to sort of clarify that there are very specific paths. Yeah. Like that's what I would say to myself 12 years ago. Yeah. So. Well, my next question was going to be what advice you would give to someone who... I'm psychic. And now you're psychic, <laughs> so I have nothing to end this conversation <laughs> on besides how delicious the snacks were and how lovely Talking you are. Talking to pregnant people comes with snacks. It just comes does. with snacks. Yeah. No, I think, I think you nailed it. And I think, again, why I wanted to start this show was to have a place where we could have these conversations and where if someone is 19 or 20 or at the beginning, yeah, yeah. age is not as yeah. relevant as knowing the different paths that exist within the umbrella of producing because similar to you if I had known I would have done certain things differently yeah you know and and even if the path would have unfolded the same way I just would have liked to have felt like I had a little bit more awareness totally of where I was totally not saying I wouldn't have chosen this anyway yeah but I did not realize that I was inadvertently choosing to be a physical producer over a creative producer exactly and so now to get from one to the other is a huge jump whereas I could have just made a A tiny a tiny decision at the beginning that would have shifted it yeah well thank you so much thank you so much I hope you like the snacks snacks sorry for the sneaky interruption the sneaky interruption was great (laughs) that's her dog he's very cute just looking at us (laughs) and that's this week's episode Thank you so much for tuning in week after week and doing this life thing with me. I see you. I recognize you. The hustle is real. Keep it up. And if you like the show, please spread the word. Tell a friend. Tag a friend. Follow me on social media. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. Would love to hear what you think. Thanks again for doing this life thing with me. And I'll see you next week. Beijos. <laughs>